You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. It's Thursday, January the 13th. Bright, sunny, frosty here in TW11, just four miles away from Kempton Park, which stages one of the two feature meetings in Great Britain on Saturday. It won't surprise you, given all the chat we've had this week about small fields and there being too many opportunities for horses, that only four will line up for the big chase, the Sylvianarco Conti chase. Warwick's meeting on Saturday, however, has been significantly better rewarded and a big field for their Agatha Classic chase, £150,000 on the table for that. And one of the intriguing runners is Corrick Rambler from the stable that brought you the Grand National winner, one for Arthur. And a linchpin of Lucinda Russell's stable, Jamie Duff, joins me later in the programme to talk not just about the horse who could be their next Grand National hero, but also about Big River, who is the recipient of Great British Racing's first ever horse of the month award more of that much later in the show but if there's one place to be in the horse racing world at the moment it's likely not in the united states and nor is it in europe it's on the gold coast in australia where they are currently holding the magic million sale more on that and the big races that accompany it with our friend and high profile trainer annabelle nisham but british race courses are trying to re-establish themselves after the pandemic aintree has announced that the grand national will return to a million pounds this year whilst royal ascot are doing something a little bit unusual in a bid to make their race-going experience that little more comfortable. Rishi Passad is with me, and Rishi, you've got the details. Yeah, quite an interesting move for Royal Ascot this year, Lucky. The Ascot Authority have spoken about the fact that they did some research over the last couple of years. Obviously, last year, reduced capacity. Uh, and they're saying that as part of a long-term ambition and feedback from race-goers um, following 2021, the numbers will be reduced for the coming royal meeting in 2022 at the royal in the royal enclosure, in the Queen Anne enclosure, and the Windsor enclosure for all five days. In the royal enclosure, it'll be reduced by 1,000, and the capacity in the Queen Anne and Windsor enclosures will be reduced by 4,150 and 2,000, respectively. Um, I think it's quite an interesting idea. I mean, obviously. It will affect the amount of income that they generate. However, it might make for a more enjoyable experience. So it's interesting to see the a race course of Ascot's ilk taking this equation into hand, considering it and considering the customer experience as opposed to the income that they might make from having a, a few thousand more on the gate. Obviously, Ascot are in a fortunate enough position to be able to take a, a, a policy like this because they are uh, seeming a very successful uh, race course. So without question, they are able to to do something like this. And I think it's, it's quite a nice move when they've considered the, the customer feedback and the fact that customers feel that with a little bit more room to manoeuvre, it's often been one of the comparisons over the years, talking about Royal Ascot in comparison to Glorious Goodwood, as it used to be. People used to say Glorious Goodwood was a little bit more relaxed, a little more room uh, to move. Well, Ascot are going to seemingly fall into line this year with a similar sort of policy. Um, and I, I, my first reaction was to pat them on the back. 
Well, Felicity Barnard is the commercial director at Ascot. And Felicity, I'm quite intrigued by by this and, and how, from a commercial perspective, this sort of makes sense to you as well as being more comfortable for us. Yeah, absolutely. It is an interesting question. And I think it goes back to, you know, one of the, the hearts of everything that we do is customer experience. And it's really important that um, those that come to watch world-class racing have that world-class experience. And and ultimately, you know, giving giving our guests that will build loyalty for our brand, um, you know, and, and hopefully encourage people to visit us year on year on year, which which they do. But, you know, some, some people remember see Royal Ascot in the summer is it's such a culturally significant event. It's a once in a lifetime event. Um, and we want people to come and visit us not only for that event, but also throughout the year at that Ascot. So it's, it's, it's a really good opportunity as a, as a shop window for the um, for the race course to to build that loyalty within our customer base. And, and the way to do that is to give them the best the best possible experience when they're on site. So, you know, we, we're not we, we understand that this is um, contrary to perhaps some other um, uh, directions of race courses or other sporting um, bodies, particularly coming out of the pandemic. But we are confident in our brand and it's a long-term play for us. And it's important that we, we you know, we look into the future and how we can we can sustain a, um, a membership and a, a, a race course following um, well into the future. So the idea is that if you have more loyalty and you have more repeat business, then in the longer term, that's going to be more commercially beneficial to you than just piling them in like sardines and saying we'll take the money now absolutely absolutely and also that we encourage people to to, to, to come to Royal Ascot but also then to enjoy racing throughout the year um and 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 undoubtedly if you have a good experience you're more likely to to, to think okay great absolutely had a fantastic time in the summer you know let, let's go back for jumps racing so so ultimately that that that's the idea is to encourage more people to the race course and and also give us a um a, a, a yeah a more loyal um race goer um throughout the year were you able, even with that significantly reduced capacity at last year's Royal Ascot, to sort of gauge a decent level of, of customer feedback in those very unusual circumstances? Yes, we absolutely were. And and to be honest, we've spent such a long time this year looking at and trying to learn from all elements of the pandemic, you know, not just around the capacity at Royal Ascot, but also the way that we, you know, our ticketing mechanic, which is now all digital, and like so many businesses, trying to take the positive from what was, you know, a difficult couple of years. And we did lots of survey work, as well as anecdotally on site with with, with um, the horsemen and, and those stakeholders that we, we also did to say, you know, what is important to you when you come racing and what is important to you about this very special event so we were able to, to to gauge that idea and i think also it's just obvious optically sometimes when you look around the site that you know we we need to to to, to make some changes to to improve the customer experience across those enclosures that perhaps you know it's such a popular event that everyone wants to come the tendency is to, is to is to allow that and we need to just make sure that we're um we're doing the best for those that are on site Felicity Barnard there, the commercial director at Ascot. And it's not only Ascot that are looking ahead beyond the, the pandemic. Aintree are as well. You remember there was no Grand National two years ago. That was the biggest single loss to the racing calendar during the pandemic. And then last year, the race was run behind closed doors. So it's three years since we've had a proper Grand National in front of crowds. And they are um, sort of pushing back to, to, to where they were pre-pandemic, Rishi. Yeah, looking at a crowd of 70,000 for uh, Aintree Grand National Day uh, in 2022 and prize money back to what it was before the pandemic for the Grand National, the Randolph's Grand National of £1 million. Great news. 
Um, as you say, it's been a tough time for Aintree, having to have their meeting cancelled in 2020, and then last year behind closed doors, and you know, you know as well as I do, lucky that even though the race was a very memorable one for all the right reasons on the track, the fact that Rachel Blackmore, Manila Times returned to a near deserted uh, paddock and in front of a near deserted grandstand was a little bit of a of a sad memory on 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 the Grand National. But hopefully uh, this year there won't be any such issues. Um, and it's important. It's really important for a race of the Grand National status uh, to be able to to boast really strong, significant prize money. We know how much prize money is in the news, how much prize money is an issue, particularly in Britain. Um, and for its flagship race in national hunt racing, uh, to be able to boast a million pounds, it's something at least that the sport can be proud of. I wanted to ask you this, a, a million pounds for a flagship race, there will be people who say, hang on a minute, couldn't you just take it back down to six, 700,000? People aren't really running in this race solely for the money, and you could distribute that money uh, elsewhere amongst amongst the grassroots in, in the group. What What would your reaction to that be? It's 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 something that I've said before. It's the simple fact that I think there's too much racing. Regardless, I think that spreading the prize money uh, at a at a lower level isn't entirely the right the right option. I don't think it's the right option. I think the better races have to have strong prize money. We are we are a nation that has to compete internationally, whether it's in national hunt or flat racing. Um, and one way of competing is on the international scale. We have to our, our top races have to hold their positions as uh, as part of a a, a global. Uh, racing competition um and i've always i've always felt that we need to strengthen the top those races at the bottom need to be condensed we don't need as many lower level races as we currently have and that's where i find the major issue that we have lots of uh we have a significant amount of lower level racing with poor prize money i feel that we need to have less lower level racing well, if you want an exhibition of just how stark the contrast can be between the financial health of certain racing nations and others, you only have to go to, to Australia and see how the industry is booming, both on the race course and in the sales ring. And just to give me a little bit more perspective, I put in a call to Annabelle Nisham, who's a friend of the show. She's the trainer of Zaki, of course, who did so well for her last year, and she's made a massive impression. She's trying to restock and get new blood into the yard at the Magic Million sales on the Gold Coast. In a moment, you'll be hearing about some of her hopes for her key horses, Zaki included. But first of all, I asked her just how robust the trade was this week. Oh, it's been unbelievable. Um, we bought plenty, but we've been probably beaten on more than we bought. Um, it's just unbelievable. I think it's a 95% clearance rate and certainly the strongest sale I've ever been involved in. And when they're cataloguing that many lots, a 95% clearance rate is, is borderline insane. Why do you think there is, is so much money to be spent at the moment in Australia? Well, I think um, a number of reasons. I, I think, you know, there obviously seems to be a lot of money around, whether that's to do with you know we've been locked down for a couple of years so i'm sure um you know where people have spent money elsewhere traveling around you know people have been locked up cooped up and you know we're, we're now sort of getting out of it all and maybe people are a bit overexcited but um you know australia is just thriving at the moment the prize money is increasing and and i think with that you know the horse sales are increasing 
I mean, when we were last talking, you were sort of casually talking about a horse that you just picked up and you said, oh, I'm going to run him in a seven and a half million dollar race in a couple of weeks time. But that, and that's not uncommon. I mean, the, the, we always knew the prize money in Australia was good, but it, has it really gone to another level now? Yeah, it's just, it, and it keeps going to another level. Um, yeah, New South Wales and Victoria are always hammer and tong against each other. You know, New South Wales put in, you know, new races worth a lot of money and Victoria have got to compete and they then raise their, the bar there. So it's sort of healthy competition. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the prize money's phenomenal. And, you know, particularly, you know, the Magic Millions, is it's not just a horse sale, it's become an event. You know, it's not... You get people from all around the world come, but there's, you know, there's the polo, there's the beach gallop, there's a lot of other things going on, and it just brings everybody together. And, you know, the big ten million dollar race um, on on Saturdays, you know, I think everybody wants to buy a two year old they can bring back to the race, but you know, each race is worth a million plus, and it's just generating more and more interest. So you'll be represented uh, on Saturday by by whom and in which race? I've got um, a lovely filly called Soaring Ambition, um, who's third on the line of betting in the two-year-old classic. And we've got a lovely colt called Swiss Exile. He's first reserve, um, so something will need to come out for him to get a run. But they're two yeah, very nice, promising two-year-olds. And um, unfortunately, the, with the barrier draw, I drew the barrier. And I drew barrier 20 for the filly, uh, Soaring Ambition. So she's going <laughs> to need a little bit of luck. And I've been sacked from uh, barrier drawing again. Um, and then we've got another couple of horses in in two other races. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a big day for you all. I'm guessing it's a it's a big day for a lot of owners as well. It's a big day for big day for syndicate ownership. Yeah, it is. And you know, the, the cult I've got in the two year old race has, has got about thirty owners in him, and you know they're all you know poised for for coming up if he does get a start. Um, but it's an amazing race day. It's always absolutely packed. It's not the biggest race course. Um, but, you know, it's absolutely jammed with owners and, and they all come up. They don't just come up for the race day. They all come up for the week and it's just an amazing event. Oh, no, you're always looking for new opportunities to try and draw people into the sport and it's worked so far. Uh, you've teamed up with the former Sky presenter, Lizzie Jelfs. Just tell me about that venture. Yeah, well, we've we've joined up. Um, she was really keen to just go, you know, do a different venture and she's always been quite passionate about bloodstock. Um, so yeah, we've teamed up um, in selecting horses. She's buying, you know, some horses for me to train, and we're hoping that that attracts new people into the into the stable. There's lots of people that want to race with Lizzie. Um, she she was a bit quiet the first two days. I had to give her a dig in the ribs today. And um, once she bought the, the first one, they all followed. She ended up buying three today, so it's pretty exciting. Um, and we want to get people involved that that aren't involved yet um and you know she's obviously been a real face for racing and you know punters um she used to do the pick of the yards and was obviously brilliant at it and a lot of punters um follow her um that perhaps you know don't yet um have horse ownership but i think people are seeing the opportunities that can be had not just you know not every horse is going to be fast most of them most of them end up slow but we just want everybody to have fun and enjoy the experience because um you, you can do you can do just that um so yeah we've already got interest from people that haven't yet raced um and we just that you know that's our main aim is just trying to draw new people into our sport and how's zaki zaki's in good form um he's probably a couple of weeks off trialing and He's heading. He's got a couple of big targets in the autumn, um, but he, he had a month off, um, a well-deserved break, and yeah, he looks fantastic. And given that he won just about everything else, heartbreaking he didn't make it to the Cox Plate last year. I guess that's that's top of the list. Yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, the Cox Plate. 
prior to that, we've got the All Star Mile, which is a five million dollar uh, mile race um, in March, and then and then the Queen Elizabeth, which a lot of your listeners will know with the day coming over and raiding it the last couple of years. Um, but um, yeah, there's a horse like him. It's always pretty obvious which races there are for him. He'll probably only have three runs this campaign, and then we'll have a little freshen up into the into the autumn. And have you got James McDonald nailed down for the ride? Well, unfortunately, the All-Star Mile clashes with the Golden Slipper, um, which is typical. That's the sort of Victorian New South Wales war, um, I think, coming to the fore. Um, so it'll depend. He's riding Gatta for Kieran Maher in the two-year-old classic this weekend. She's currently favourite for the Slipper. Um, so it's whether we can drag him away from a, a Golden Slipper um, down to Victoria. So we'll, we'll see, but I'd love him to, to stick with him because he seems to have the key. Annabelle Neesham there, and racing in Australia really is is thriving. Mind you, Rishi, as Annabelle pointed out, uh, they've been locked down for so long, I should think people are just itching to spend a, a spend a few dollars. Oh, absolutely. And uh, as we found out in in Britain, the fact that, you know, companies, uh, individuals were in lockdown for such a long time, um, obviously in Australia significantly longer than, than in Britain, that there was um, uh, an inclination to spend once we emerged out of that, and obviously in Australia, given how long they were in lockdown for, how long lockdown has lasted, um, they're, they're desperate to, to spend a pound or spend a dollar as it is over there. Um, the point that you make in what you've just said is the most significant. Australian racing is thriving, and it seems that all their proposals are based on uh, significant prize money, really strong competitive racing, quality fields, um, it's it's you look at it from afar and there's a little bit of jealousy. Dubai Carnival begins today at uh, at Maidan. Rish, you, you're a pretty keen observer of this. You'll be covering it for for Racing TV this year. Where do you think Dubai's at with the carnival now? I like the shape of this year's carnival. Lucky, um, there was a little bit of a concern that perhaps it was getting a little bit bloated and it was losing a little bit of its luster because. Uh, the quality of the racing had dipped. Obviously, the challenge of other um, nations picking up uh, racing during the winter uh, and being attractive with the prize money and conditions of races, etc. But I like the fact that Dubai has gone for slightly less in terms of the Dubai World Cup Carnival, in terms of fixtures. The prize money is still very significant between now and the World Cup. Uh, there's $7.5 million. Uh, on offer, and then World Cup night itself, it's thirty million. Um, so that's a lot of prize money, and it's attracted a lot of the familiar faces. But it's quite nice to see that the Dubai World Cup Carnival this year attracting some new faces from different countries. There's some, uh, even from from Britain. You've got uh, Alice Haynes, Amy Murphy, and Heather Main all making the trip. So I think that the message is that this year the Dubai Carnival World Cup Carnival looks as if it's going to be um, a step up on on, on recent editions. And in the in the region, entries have been released for the the Saudi Cup, the world's richest horse race. If Mishrif wins a second edition of it, he will become the world's leading money earner of all time, overtaking Winks, and he could easily do so. Though the competition will be tough, Rish. Yeah, it's a quality uh, number of entries and quality horses in, amongst that entries from uh, around the world. But Mishrif, of course, he's he is the star, having won the race last year. Then he went on to win the Shima Classic. Uh, his European season perhaps didn't go quite as well as I, I, fi I feel more people thought would, yet he still 
you know, conducted himself magnificently last season. He won the Judmont International in great style. So, yeah, it's just short of 12 million that he's won in his time. Um, but he will have some stiff competition um, for with horses heading out to Saudi. There's Nick's Go, Life is Good, the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile winner who looked so good. Uh, Adelmar, there's Hot Rod Charlie, Mandaloon. There's also the possibility of Sealaway and Skeletti also heading there. And I believe Pile Driver from, mm. from Britain is also uh, targeting the Saudi Cup as well. So it, yeah. if those big names turn up, what a race it will be. Just to, just to put a bit of meat on those bones, just just think about it from a, from a, a global point of view and the, the races these horses have won. It looks as though we'll definitely get Mishrift, last year's winner and the Judmont International winner and the French Derby winner of two years ago. Looks like we'll definitely get Pile Driver, the Coronation Cup winner. Looks like we'll definitely get the winner of the Champion Stakes at Ascot. So there's three massive marquee races in in Great Britain. And then Life is Good Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile winner. Mandaloon, who may yet still end up being a Kentucky Derby winner, depending on what happens to the poor, late lamented Medina Spirits Kentucky Derby. Uh, I don't think Nick's goal will run. He didn't seem to enjoy the track last year, but I suppose it's a possibility, depending on what happens in the Pegasus between him and Life is Good at the end of this month. Um, but, you know, we could get you know, one or two other pretty interesting horses in there as well. It's going to be a hell of a race. Yeah, the, the, the Japanese horses might be interesting as well. Marshall Rayton looks Absolutely. like... Absolutely. Breeders' Cup Distaff winner. Uh, it could be. It could be everything that uh, that sort of money... Uh, attracts and and you put it all in a pot and it, it could be an absolutely belter. I, I just I, I just hope that uh, the majority of those make it. Now yesterday saw the unveiling of the first ever Great British Racing Horse of the Month. You're familiar with the Jockey of the Month competition that's been running for several years now. Richard Johnson, the former multiple champion jockey, has nominated three horses, and of those three, the winner was Big River, who, with his Borders National victory at Kelso in December, took his tally at the Borders track to seven victories. He's hugely popular 12-year-old and shows no signs of slowing. He's trained by Lucinda Russell, Grand National winning trainer, and he's looked after by Jamie Duff, herself a winner at the McCoys, the awards ceremony at Cheltenham back in November. And, and she joins me now. Jamie, it's, it's really lovely for a horse like Big River to, to get recognition. Did it come as quite a nice surprise to you? Oh, he's, he's an absolute star, yeah. No, it was a bit of a surprise when he's up against Shiskin and the Welsh National winner as well. It's a, it was hot competition. So um, it's just nice to see that everyone appreciates the horse as much as we do. You know, he's, he's been an absolute star for us and he loves Kelso. So, um, and it was great for, for Richard Johnson to nominate him. It was just, it was lovely. And I suppose it just goes to show that, that horses um, etch their way into people's souls for all sorts of different reasons. What do you think it is about him? He's just very special. I mean, he, he I think you can see when you watch his races, he's just all heart. He gives absolutely everything in his races. And, um, you know, he's he's just one of the most genuine racehorses I think you will find. And he just gives absolutely everything. I think him and... Derek Fox are a match made in heaven, really. Um, and it's, it's it's nice for other people to, it's nice for us to see other people appreciating them as well, because um, he means so much to us, and he's he's just a wonderful horse to have around, really. But it's one thing for us to watch him and admire his qualities and bet on him and win plenty, and he does win plenty. What's he like for you to look after? How is he different from other horses that you, you've dealt with? He's very, very sensitive. He's... he's um, Erin Walker, she rides, she like does everything, like riding them at home and everything. And she's she's ridden them for years now, so she's a huge part of his preparation for each run and everything. You know, he's, he's he is a very sensitive horse, so 
We used to actually have an iPod playing in these stable and things like that, just to sort of drown out the noise of everything around about him. Um, but as he's gotten older, he's, he's well, actually, in this probably this last season has been his best, where he's he's just gone to the races and he's just relaxed. But he is um, he is very very sensitive to everything really. So it's just trying to keep everything as as calm on the day as possible. And um, oh, he's he, he really is a a little superstar. And as I say, he just he gives everything. You know, that, that's the thing with him. He's the most genuine. He's had heart problems and things like that in the past. And He's overcome an awful lot, really. So for him to still want to go to the races and, and run the way he does, I think that says a lot about the horse himself, really. And you you were mentioning he's got his his little anxiety issues, which you, you've sort of ironed out. It's amazing that it can it can take quite, such a long time to, to get a horse exactly mentally where you want them. And, you know, he's 12 now. Maybe he's just reaching his peak. I know. That's exactly what Skew said the other day. He's in the form of his life just now. So, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's always had lots of ability. And, he, you know, he's... He's running all the big handicaps in Cheltenham and he thinks the Welsh National and he runs on the Scottish National every year. So I think, you know, the the fact he actually makes it to those races every year and I think Lucinda and Scoo do a great job of training him every year to make sure he does get to those big races and especially at the AGs as well. So um, it's a huge credit to everyone at home really and our, our vets and all the staff and everything like that as well that he um, he gets there every year because he, I mean, he has had plenty of issues in the past. So he's... Um, so it says a lot for the horse himself as well to actually, as you say, get to the races and he's um, overcome it all really, hasn't he? And Jamie, it looks as though Big River could be off to his beloved Kelso again on, on Sunday and that would leave Corak Rambler also in your stable to head the weights for the Warwick Classic chase. He's been declared for that with Derek Fox aboard. Is he the natural successor to, to one for Arthur who took this for you and, and then went on to win the Grand National? Oh, I think Corak Rambler could be anything to be honest. He's a... Uh, I think he does everything very easily. I, I know the race at Cheltenham, he didn't like, it was very frustrating to watch, to be honest, because I think, he, I'm not sure he actually did very much in that race. I think he was, it's all very natural to him. Um, so I'm not sure he, he was very, he was concentrating that much in the race at Cheltenham, but he's, um, I think he's a very, very exciting horse and I think he could be anything really. So um, yeah, it would be, he's a very exciting horse to watch and very lucky to have him in the yard. And I can't let you go without asking about Ahoy Senor, the, the stable star, uh, and how he's come out of Kempton. He's great. Um, Derek Fox, he rides him in a lot of his, most of his work at home. And um, another young conditional, Patrick Wadgen, we were chatting yesterday on the way down to Bagger, and um, he's in great form just now. So, um, yeah, he's another very, very exciting horse. He, he could be anything. But, yeah, no, he's, he seems in really good order since, Kempton, so fingers crossed, all, all good to go. Jamie Duff, responsible for, for Big River. That's a nice idea, isn't it, Rish? Or Horse of the Month? Yeah, I, a great idea. And I, I love the description of Big River, a horse who is so tough, game, genuine, as you pointed out, uh, a horse that's achieved so much uh, already in his career. I love the fact that he's such a sensitive soul at home. Um, <laughs> it, it paints a lovely heartwarming picture um, but a great idea a great initiative uh, one of the one of the better ones to come along talking of some of the better initiatives to come out of the sport and one that we've already highlighted on this podcast with josh appiaffi uh, the countdown is on to the racing media academy's application deadline you've got 18 and a bit days now to enter and it's open to any of you who are 18 and older rishi just um remind everybody what the racing media academy is and where it might take you 
Well, this is a great idea. Um, you know, I think Josh Apiafi's spoken to you a, a lot in the in, in the last few weeks, Nick, and he has spoken to me as well. Um, it's it's part of the the plans under the the umbrella of the Racing Pathway, um, which Josh and and a few people that have supported him, people within the industry have supported him, um, and it, it's got three particular strands to it. It's it's building on work that obviously has existed in the sport with diversity and inclusion. Um, but it's about recruiting young people into racing and it's about recruiting young people into racing into, I think what they describe as non yard based apprenticeships. Generally, when people think about getting into racing, it seemed as if, uh, and I might be generalizing here, but that you're thinking the majority of people will go into racing through, uh, into a stable staff, jockeys, looking for a career as a trainer, etc. Um, very hands-on work in, in, a, in a racing yard. The racing pathway has suggested that there are other means of getting involved in the sport. Um, you know, looking at below the graduate level, uh, developing future fans as well. Um, so this is a really good program that will help attract new faces to the industry, young faces to the industry. It's about developing a future plan, uh, developing a future plan uh, in a non-yard-based career pathway, but there are also options for a rider and stable career pathway as well. So all bases are covered. A lot of uh, collaboration between, so the Racing Post, uh, Sky Sports Racing, Racing TV, ITV. I know you and I have uh, pledged support to help out as well. So um, it's it's something that again, racing. Never mind all of them, Rishi. Come and work for the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Oh, I mean that is the ultimate goal. Well, yes, isn't it? Dear, I mean, dear. <laughs> who does not want to end up in this privileged position? Exactly. You could be the next Rishi Passad. You've got eighteen days. Uh, the Racing Media Academy details are all over Twitter and the Racing Pathway. And just on what Jamie was was saying there, Korak Rambler is a declared runner for Warwick on Saturday. I've just I've just seen. I mean, he looks a really exciting prospect for for her and that whole Lucinda Russell Peter Scudamore team. Yeah, he's still lightly race as well. I know he's eight years old now, but he's only had six starts under rules. Obviously, came from the the point to point field. But I loved what he's done so far this season. He had that run at Perth, and then. Uh, one easily enough at Aintree and one with a bit in hand at Chilton as well. And the Aintree run got a boost slightly yesterday when Sailaway, who was behind him at Aintree, beaten significantly by uh, Korak Rambler, actually gave Dusart a bit of a fright over fences at, uh, at Leicester. So he's one with a bit in hand. He's unexposed over, obviously, this trip. He hasn't run over a, a trip this far before. And I think that there's, there's a bit more to come from him. And he's, he looks like he's blossoming. So I prefer to be with a horse who's progressing in a, in a race where obviously there are quite a few exposed types. And Rish, have you got a tip for me for today? Well, having spoken about so many exciting races uh, around the world, you know, the Saudi Cup, the Dubai World Cup Carnival, what's going on in Australia. I thought it's nice to bring everyone down to earth, Lucky, and go for a tip in the... Are you, going, to that, are you going in that three-runner conditions race at Newcastle? Better. I'm going for the ChelmsfordCityRacecourse.com Apprentice Classified States. Oh, yes. Class six. Class six. This is what we used to call banded filth back in the days of banded racing, isn't it? <laughs> oh, God. Some great memories coming back out of an 11.30 start on Channel 4. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the horse that won the race last year, Chinzento, uh, for Roger Teal. Um, I'm hoping he wins the race again. 
Rish, thanks so much. Uh, thank you for listening. That was Thursday, January the 13th. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.